Um, I'm going to begin introducing our final Race Talks speaker uh, for this year, who, as you already know, is named Kira Anderson. Um, yes, yes. It, it wouldn't be going too far to say that she's somewhat of a celebrity among Wesley folks. Yes. Or even a saint. Um, so here's, here's a little bit about her. Um, first of all, she drove from Austin to be here tonight. Um, so Kira graduated in 2017 from Louisiana Tech, this distinguished university, um, with a bachelor's in education. She graduated magna cum laude. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, which means that she had very good grades, if you don't, if you don't know. Um, she currently teaches first grade, which according to her is the best grade, um, at Cedars International Academy in Austin, Texas, which is a charter school. She's been married to a pretty nerdy white guy for two and a half years. Is that, is that, is that, I would describe him that way no matter what I feel like. Yeah. Um, who has many talents with uh, computers and other things and puzzles? Yes. Um, Kira is the best intern that has ever been at the Wesley Foundation. Um, she has that distinguished status as the best intern that has ever come through the Wesley. And tonight she's going to share a talk with you. This is not the first time she's spoken at Race Talks, by the way. Um, but tonight she's going to share a talk with you called Racism in the Black Professional. And her part of, this part of her subtitle is uh, He Who is Silent Consents. She's going to be talking about courageous conversation. So please welcome Kira. start by saying thanks to everyone who came out to listen and thanks to everyone who came out to be heard tonight. Um, this, is, this place is a sacred place for me as it is the birthplace of finding my voice. A voice that was silent in January of 2017 when we first began race talks. A voice that was timid the following January of 18, while educating on the history of rape and racism in the new world. And, the vo and to be honest with you, a voice that is still shaky at times, but refusing to be silenced again. I cannot afford to be silent anymore, not as a disciple of Christ, not as a person of African descent, not as a woman, and not as an educator. You also cannot afford to be silent, wherever you may find yourself this evening. So I'm here to share my personal stories and my heart as to why this world needs each and every one of you to have courageous conversations, especially conversations concerning the practices and the effects of racism that you will find yourself entangled in as you leave this place. To begin tonight, I would like to share a quote by James Baldwin. Um, if you don't know him or haven't read any of his work, you need to get on that. Um, 
So I'll read it. We can disagree and still love each other unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression and denial of my humanity and right to exist. I would like to take this further by saying we can disagree and still love each other unless your disagreement is rooted in the oppression of just not me, but any child of God and their right to humanity and their right to exist in this world as a creation. This quote challenges me to step outside of myself more. Um, I'm ashamed to say that in the past, if someone didn't agree with me or didn't seem like a good person, I didn't want anything to do with them. I wrote them off. Um, that just means that like, I'm, not, I'm not messing with you. Um, but that attitude towards people, it didn't help anyone. It didn't change anything, and it didn't show love and compassion. And if some of my role models thought this way, I wouldn't be sitting in this room speaking with you. If Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. thought that way, if Maya Angelou thought that way, if Toni Morrison thought that way, and that's, that's a very small list, but if any of those people thought that way, I wouldn't be in this room. And if Jesus felt that way, felt the way I once did, we would all be in big trouble. Um, but as my thoughts and my heart started to change, I knew that loving people the way the Bible commands me to love others, as myself, may mean disagreeing with them sometimes. It may feel like uncomfortable conversations and sweaty palms and a few tears. It also may look like educating them and being willing to learn from them. So since graduating college and becoming a real adult, um, I use that term very loosely because anytime I get a chance to act like a child, I take it. And you should. You should take that chance. Um, so since securing my degree and my first teaching job, my experience of navigating this world with adults has been a little harder, uh, a little more uncomfortable, and a lot more stressful, yet fruitful. And not only in my life, in my personal growth, but in the lives around me. So before I share my um, professional experience, it will be helpful to offer the demographics of our school to help you understand my position in all of this. So I am only one of two black teachers and I'm only one of four black employees in my district. The majority of our teachers are white and the majorities of our students are Latinos. So like most of my history as a person in this world, I find myself being a minority. Um, my first baby, courageous conversation occurred during my first year of teaching. Like most schools across America, we say the Pledge of Allegiance with our right hand over our hearts every day. And because it's Texas, and they still like to act like a country within a country, we also say the <laughs> Texas Pledge every day. And an administrator approached me and inquired, are you a citizen here? And to be honest, the question took me off guard. One of my first thoughts was, well, not by choice, but I answered her question with a yes. And she went on to say that she had noticed that I never say any of the pledges. And to that I replied, it's because my allegiance isn't to this country. I want to point out here that initially my feelings were hurt. And at the time I thought it was because one, I liked her. Two, I wanted her to ask me what she really wanted to know instead of that pointed question. 
I wanted her to ask me why I didn't join the rest of our staff and students during the pledge. I wanted her to give me the, the opportunity to explain myself, to hear me out. I almost like permission to speak. And I beat myself over the, I beat myself up over this for a while. I kept thinking that I should have just went for it and just let her know what you know what was on my mind. But I was afraid. I was afraid to have that conversation. I was afraid that it would go south, um, that I would misspeak or not make sense because I do that when I'm upset or nervous. I was afraid that my reasons would have been trivialized again by someone who doesn't look like me. So at the time, it seemed like I settled for that one line, that my allegiance isn't to this country. But looking back at it now, pre-race talks, Kiera would have had her hand over her heart, reciting those words. Words that are only meant to be said to my Lord because I owe him and his kingdom allegiance. And I'm thankful that today I'm able to see it as a stepping stone and my voice gaining steadiness. Another incident occurred in which I had a little more confidence under my belt. There was a teacher who taught a brown boy, which are very few in my school. Uh, I think I can count on two hands how many black boys I see walking our hallways. And I make a conscious effort to greet them and to smile at them, no matter how big they are, no matter how small they are, because that gesture meant a lot to me as a child growing up in predominantly white schools, just to be seen, like, hey, I see you. Um, kind of like the nod that we do at other people's like, yeah, that one. Um, so let's call this child Kevin. This teacher complained about Kevin often and how she didn't care for him or didn't feel a connection to him as the same connection that she felt with her other students. And that bothered me. Um, in my opinion, if you're a teacher, and I'm, I'm not, actually, I'm not going to say that, but I think they're children, you know, but her indifference towards this child bothered me more when we were having a conversation over lunch and she expressed that she felt pity for Donald Trump. And that's when something had to be said. Um, because I couldn't and I still can't fathom how you can pity Trump but not have empathy or compassion for a six-year-old child with a smile as bright as Kevin's. And even if I were to put every, aside everything I know Trump to be, I still can't understand how a teacher could be with him for seven hours a day, read to him, practice his sight words, share meals with him, and not feel anything towards him but, but pity for someone she has never met and would think of her as disposable at best. Before I knew it, I told her I could never feel pity for him. He doesn't deserve my pity or anyone else's pity. But the people suffering less than eight hours south of us deserve our pity. So like Ryan said, I live in Austin, which is like central Texas. Um, so at the time I was in Austin when I made that comment. The men, women, boys, and girls in cages deserve our pity. Around the time of this conversation, I had volunteered to work with immigrant women who were blessed to have been found by a ministry. Uh, and they were in the business of protecting immigrant women and children. Um, our team was to help them clean up their living space and play with the children just to give the parents a break. And one, lady, one young lady stood out to me because she was Honduran, but she looked like me. Her hair was like mine, her skin was like mine, and she had a beautiful baby girl. And if you know me, if you have a child, I'm in. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm there. Um, she only spoke Spanish 
in her indigenous language, Garofina. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but, but through translation, I learned her husband was in a detention center and she didn't know when she would see him again. And to kind of paint a picture, we discussed this over a coloring book. Me and her were just coloring in this coloring book with the translator. Um, and she's in a place she's never been in, in a place where no one knows her native tongue, and sadly in a place where someone is liable to say that she is not worth their pity. I shared this story with my coworker about how these were the people that I pitied and felt sad for. My Hadarian sister may never kiss her husband again. Her daughter may never know her father if something occurs and he lost his life. So naturally, my coworker was defensive at first, but we rested through this. Um, in that conversation, we discussed Barack Obama because anytime you bring up Trump, they gotta say something about Obama. Um, the South Side of Chicago, she's from Chicago. The good work she had done with children, she's been teaching a while. And her passion for teaching and many other things. And I did my best not to dismiss those feelings because I know that feeling of being dismissed. But I spoke my truth. Her recklessly saying that one of the most vilest, vilest people in our nation deserved pity was not okay and it offended me. Silence wasn't an option. Since then, she and I have had many conversations about politics and racism as a practice since then. Um, we've also shared meals in each other's homes. And we've even gone dancing a couple of times. I said all this to say that if I had let that comment slide and made a decision to write her off as just another racist Trump supporter, those conversations that follow would have never happened. Her watching the 13th documentary would not have happened. Her wanting to know more and asking questions about me and my experiences would not have happened. Her classroom became a safe space for me to discuss my dissatisfaction with the way our school handles microaggressions and then another, um, another, a number of other things about our population of students. Um, but please hear me when I say that everything hasn't been peaches and cream since that conversation, but it's easier to speak my mind when the opportunity arises now. Um, at, this point, oops, at this point, I would like to offer what I found to be helpful in a book called, titled Courageous Conversations About Race, a field guide for achieving equity in schools. So this book is specific for teachers, um, but I truly believe that Everyone involved in trying to have a courageous conversation um, can benefit from what this author had to say. The author, Glenn Singleton, is tackling the necessity of talking about racism within our schools and how to have the necessary conversations with one another. So part of what he does during his time with educators is he provides a space for them to have dialogue with one another about their understanding of race, their understanding about racism, and he observes. By doing this, he notices trends, and he points these things out for educators to identify and remain conscious of, um, especially how we communicate differently and how we communicate based on our perceived racial identity. Um, this is what he noticed in the dialogue between the teachers. So you can go to the first slide for me. The next slide, sorry. Um, so it says, understanding white talk and color commentary. 
So white talk, verbal, and then you have color commentary, nonverbal. So white talk characterized by loud, authoritative, and interrupted speech. Value is placed on expressing oneself and controlling the conversation. Color commentary, nonverbal, characterized by silent respect for, as well as a disconnect from the one talking and or positional cultural authority. Communication takes place through body motions and other nonverbal expressions. So for white talk, an example of this may be who talks first, who talks the longest, who talks the most often. Whereas with color commentary, an example may be folded arms, silent, refusal to make eye contact. Um, and so over the next couple of slides, these are things that he noticed when he would have these teachers talk with one another. And for me, I've experienced some of these things. Um, next slide, please. The next one is impersonal versus personal. So with white talk, typically spoken in a third person, um, prone to explaining opinion through the use of other people's stories and experiences. So an example of this may be um, my best friend who is black. I am married to a person of color. I grew up around so-and-so. Whereas for color commentary, it's personal. It's typically spoken in the first person and then the value is placed upon sharing one's own story and experiences. When I got pulled over by the police, when they did this to my mom. Um, yeah. So for this one is intellectual versus emotional. And I, th I think this is the one that I, I feel more as an educator when I'm talking to people about um, things happening. So intellectual dialogue is abstract and disconnected from the immediate and local reality. They're more interested in the quantitative analysis of one's thinking. Whereas with color commentary, it's emotional. Dialogue is centered on an immediate and local racial reality. They're more interested in the qualitative analysis and feelings. So an example for the white talk would be, well, could you give me an example of that? Could you give me a statistic of that? A citation of that? Whereas with color commentary, it would be, I just don't feel like you respect me as a black person. Um, I feel alone here. I don't trust you. Um, yeah. And then the last one is, um, so how, how do we get things done? So white talk is usually task-oriented, organized around the need to do something and find solutions. And a patient focus on locating tools and strategies to address racial issues. So an example would be like this. Well, when are we, when are we going to actually get to solving this? Um, how can we do this now? Whereas with color commentary, it's organized around the need to be respected, validated, affirmed. It's through developing trust in others. Um, it occurs through the examination of racial attitudes and belief in the public. So an example of this could be like, well, how do you feel about this Brown student? How do you believe they feel about you? Um, how, do you how do our students feel knowing that there's no Latino teachers here? And they're all Latino. Um, I also like to point out that obviously this isn't true of all white people or people of color. Um, but like I mentioned before, like in my conversations with people, I find this to be accurate for me. Um, based on who I'm talking to, actually. So before I share my most recent experience of having courageous conversations, I have another quote by James Baldwin that I, I think kind of adds to my last story. If you put it up, I'm going to let you guys read it first because it's kind of... 
Whatever you describe to another person is also a revelation of who you are and who you think you are. You cannot describe anything without portraying your point of view, your aspirations, your fears, your hopes. She bore James again. Um, <laughs> um, does anyone have any thoughts on that? It's okay if not, but. What are your thoughts? <laughs> your thoughts, yes. Your thoughts, oh, oh, okay. Yes. Yes, James. Okay, I'll take it. Okay. Um, so my last story is very recent and fresh. Um, I'm still kind of feeling the fallout from this one, but y'all just be praying for me and my school and all the teachers involved. Um, so I signed up to be on our Black History Month committee. I'm I'm black, I feel like that. <laughs> um, if I do nothing else, I'm gonna be on the committee. Um, in early January, when we began our planning for our program, our Spanish teacher, who is a proud Colombian and a shero to me, I love her, um, proposed that we explicitly invite Afro-Latinos to celebrate Black History Month. Everyone on the committee agreed and thought it was a great idea, especially since we have a fairly large, large population of students who could identify as that. We began the process of sending the letter home to all the parents about our idea, and I sent out an email to all the teachers requesting that the letters be sent home by that Friday. Well, by the end of that day, one of our teacher aides approached me, and that's me, why are we trying to include Latinos in Black History Month when there's already a Hispanic Heritage Month celebration? I explained to her best I can um, why that is, and she also informed me that she overheard middle school teachers discussing their disapproval of the letter and their plans not to send it home. So I got upset. Um, <laughs> and told her that I will address it, and I went to my classroom and shut my door. <laughs> I sat there in silence for a while um, because I didn't want to cry. I'm at work. But <laughs> I couldn't wrap my head around. Uh, I couldn't wrap my head around what was offensive, inappropriate, or distasteful about our letter. That was inviting people of African descent to come celebrate with other descendants for the month of February. So I turned on Kendrick Lamar. And I tried to grade papers, but I couldn't shake the feeling. So Kendrick Lamar is like my new spiritual animal. <laughs> Makes me happy. And so I'm trying to grade papers, um, but I, I couldn't because I'm upset. I couldn't shake the feeling. So I decided that I need to get my feelings out. So I tried my luck with my fellow committee member and Spanish teacher, the Colombian. Um, long story short, I went to her classroom, I poured my heart out, and at the end, she asked me, could she hug me? And we hugged. And we cried. And we vented. And we shared stories. And we talked for about an hour about our experiences of others' ignorance. By the, end of our, 
conversation, we agreed that we would send an email to the school addressing what seemed to be a misunderstanding about what we hope to do for our Afro-Latino students. Um, so boom, we get the email situated and typed out, but I didn't feel peace about it, so I deleted my part of the email. I went home, and bless Hunter's heart, I'm screaming in our kitchen, uh, which I usually don't do. I'm not like a screamer, but uh, I was upset. And in my anger and in my frustration, I made a rash decision to email the two Latino teachers and the ringleader of our middle school clique. <laughs> my thoughts were, if you're going to talk crap about my fire, at least come say it to my face where I can defend it. So in the email, I simply asked if I could have a moment of your time to discuss the flyer that I sent home, that I asked you to send home, and then click. So I did this while I was upset, um, but after I sent it, I felt nervous and maybe even regretful um, because this is only my second year of teacher and I'm not trying to make enemies in multiple grade levels. So, <laughs> Yeah, because this is like 68, you know, that's like half our school at that point. Anyway, um, but I knew it was necessary because I, I couldn't shake the feeling, y'all. Um, and it wasn't fair to them for me to hold a grudge against them based on what someone else told me. So the day comes for conversation number one. I met with the first teacher, let's call her Miss Yu. I started by acknowledging that I heard through the Cedars chatter um, about the middle school team not approving of the flyer and deciding not to send it home. Ms. Yu responded to her part in the conversation and assured me that she thought the flyer was great and the idea to involve these students was a great idea. But she also educated me on, the th on things in the Latino community that I didn't know um, or only had read about and for that I'm grateful. Um, I knew that colorism existed in the Latino community, but I didn't know the degree of it. I knew that some of the slang in their language referring to black people. Um, I knew some of the slang, but I did not know its implications. I didn't know how Afro-Latinos in the Caribbean were treated by other Latinos. To be honest with you, I didn't know a lot, um, but I was grateful for her to share those things with me. Um, and another thing, I forgot to put this in here, that she mentioned about um, Afro-Latinos was, they have this thing in the Caribbean where there's a phrase, and I can't say it because I don't speak Spanish, but it's to get rid of the black. Um, like when you're trying to choose a partner or something like that, you shouldn't be choosing another Afro-Latino. And I didn't know that. And so one of her points about our flyer that she worried about was parents' reception. Like, if you're already not wanting to identify as this or you're not wanting this, you didn't choose this, how are they going to react to seeing like it being blatant? Like, oh, they know. They know that we're Afro-Latino. Um, and just a disclaimer, we didn't just send it to the kids who look Afro-Latino. We sent it to everyone, um, which she thought was a good idea. So after me and her talked about that, and she schooled me on some things I didn't know in the Latino community and just how I can be... Um, how I can care for that the next time around. She told me about a conversation she had with a fellow teacher when she called her out on a microaggression directed at a student. She told the student that he couldn't use Spanish in her English classroom. And Ms. Yu let her know that that wasn't appropriate. And then the other teacher immediately went to 
um, a litany of things, and one of those things was that I'm not racist. Ms. Yu assured her that, um, oh, sorry, and a litany of other things that she has done from the community and the school. So she's worked all over, the other teacher has worked all over the nation. She's well qualified and different things. And she was telling Ms. Yu these things, and Ms. Yu just assured her that she wasn't negating those things, but it was not okay for her to tell her students that. And I agreed and I shared how I had a teacher tell me that last year. She told me that it was disrespectful for my students to speak their native tongue when I didn't understand it. And of course I never said anything to my students because I, I like listening, I like eavesdropping on their Spanish conversations because I'm trying to learn. Um, so in their free time, I'm just ear hustling the whole time. <laughs> um, so yeah, I would never say that to my students. And then the same thing that happened with our Colombian Spanish teacher, me and Ms. Yu, we shared stories. We vented to one another. We educated each other. We shared book recommendations and podcasts to check out. And I left the conversation feeling hopeful for the next two conversations that were coming. The hope didn't last long um, <laughs> with the teacher who is the ringleader of it all, but I should have known that. Um, let's call him Mr. C. He showed up to my room. And from the beginning, he was deflecting. So he brought a piece of paper with him that showed which students would share about um, black history people during the morning announcements and how he had assigned everyone that person. So a little context about this was um, I couldn't get them to do anything more than that. Like I sent them a list of options for how we can get middle school students to participate in Black History Month. And they sent me an email back saying, yeah, we have standardized tests. We don't have the time for that. They said it nicer than that, but that's what, that was the gist of the email. Um, and so I think he brought that paper just to kind of appease me, like, hey, I did do something. But I provided him the list of the figures to give to the students. So he had to. <laughs> um, anyway, but I chose my battle to fight, and it was about my flyer. So the conversation began similar to the one with Ms. Yu about me wanting to hear his thoughts and have him listen to mine. But after listening to his thoughts, I was fully aware of what I was working with by what he shared. So I'm just going to share what he shared with me. Um, his thoughts were that we shouldn't subcategorize or single out students in this way because it labels students. And as teachers, that is not our job. We should stick with the basics, which is teaching. And he teaches all of his students that we all have our differences, but we are at the same at our core, like an onion. I just want to pause here to say that, um, one, please don't ever tell someone that. And, yeah, no, serious, because, you know, if we're all onions, my onion is more, just more likely to be killed over nothing. And your onion is safe, you know? So don't, don't do that. Um, he assured me that they have deep, deep discussions in his class and that if we began to do this, it would be a rabbit hole. And the example he gave me was, well, what if we had black Irish students in our school? Would we be doing this? And then he proceeded to tell me that his wife is Mexican, that he has black friends, including Haitians and people from the Caribbean, and they have never heard of the term Afro-Latino. He also mentioned that he had to ask his daughter what it means, and she was able to tell him, but she agreed that we shouldn't be labeling our students in this way or pushing things on them that aren't there. 
He said he hoped that these students felt like they can celebrate anything. And so my response to this was, we see these students every day in our population, and it's important that they feel included in Black History Month. If we had Black Irish students, my feelings would be the same. I explained to him that for me, as a minority, I am not in the business of excluding anyone from anything that is rightfully theirs, especially something as uplifting and proud as a month to be you. He interrupted me at this point um, to say that he doesn't claim to understand how minority people feel or to know the things that they've been through, how he can only sympathize with his wife who was raised in Mexico and his friends, but it's the same with war. He is a veteran in voice that I can never understand what it was like to be in war. So I, I shut up at this point, I got silent. Um, and I think he kind of knew why I stopped talking because I'm, I'm not gonna talk over you to get a point across. So he apologized for interrupting me and then I continued. I went on to educate him on the Afro-Latino being kind of a new movement, which would explain why his friends who identified as black were not familiar with it and why his daughter would be. I also pointed out that him calling his friends black is precisely the reason this movement is happening. There are people in our community that feel as though they have to choose a side when that is not the case. They don't have to choose which month to celebrate. They can do both of them. Um, and that was our intention of sending that flyer home. So at this point, I saw him looking at my clock, which indicated to me he was ready to go. So I thanked him for being willing to have the conversation because he wasn't trying to hear anything else I was trying to say. He ended by saying that he believes that we shouldn't complicate things for students by trying to make them choose a label and how he feels very strongly about that. I ended by stating, I understand that's how you feel. And that's the conversation. So he left, and I was sitting in my room again, <laughs> trying to cry, feeling all kinds of things, uh, but mostly sad for his students. Yeah. Students with a history teacher who probably tells them that the Civil War wasn't about slavery. And it took me a couple of hours to, hours to get out of that funk. And my students knew something was going on. And I'm usually really good trying to like, hide things from them because they're six, but they saw straight through it. Um, it was personal for me. That flyer just wasn't a piece of paper, but an invitation for students to feel celebrated. He dismissed it because he could. So that's Mr. C, ringleader. Last conversation, um, I met with another Latino teacher. Her name was Ms. G. I think the conversation went well, and she had really good things to say. Um, and I just kind of want to point out four things that I thought that she said, I was like, mm, that's good. Um, one, we need to have a professional development on the topic of race and how do we cater to our population of students so that when people see new words, they don't freak out and get scared. <laughs> so. <laughs> She voiced that the teachers who were upset didn't know the term um, and wouldn't know how to explain it to parents if parents asked them about it. And so that's what they were afraid of. And I told her, I was just, I just moved to Texas. I don't know the term. I'm, everything I know about this is from what people tell me, YouTube and books. Um, and so I was just like, as educators, that's what you have to do though. How do you, you teach at a majority Latino school? And I, anyway, so she said we needed PD. That's the like, Teacher talk for professional development. Um, number two, know your whites. She said she's been around a lot of people who say the right things, but they don't practice what they preach. Mr. C. Um, 
Number three, she says, stop throwing the word racist around like confetti. <laughs> That was funny when she said that. Um, <laughs> and uh, number four, she said, educate yourself. She said, if you're going to have an opinion about something, make it an informed of one. Um, and I thanked her for speaking with me because, honestly, it meant a lot to me that, like, the two Latino teachers in our school, like, I didn't offend either of them, so I was happy about that. Um, she gave her suggestions on how I might proceed the next time around and her experiences with things like this. But she also was to me that she gets nervous when she brings things up because people assume you're accusing them of something when you're really just trying to be heard. She also voiced that they want her to be a part of the committee next year since she is a minority. So in the conversation with Mr. C, he was upset because he didn't know that the flyer was going to be a thing. And I was just like, well, we have committees that we sign up for at the beginning of the school year. You can sign up for the committee and then you'll be in the know. So I, I guess he must have told her that she needs to be the one to sign up for the committee next year. And she expressed that, what, what I thought, that they should be a part of the committee so that they can learn more. Um, these, those three conversations all happened at like the beginning of February. Um, and so, mid-January to February. Um, and they're the most courageous I've had to date. And I would love to give you practical ways to tackle courageous conversations you will find yourself um, being a part of. So my first one is stay engaged. Um, I could have sent my passive aggressive email targeting a few people, but I wouldn't have had the rich conversations I had with the two Latino teachers in the one that motivated me to keep ruffling feathers. Um, those morally, emotionally, intellectually, and relationally. Just stay engaged. Number two. <laughs> Expect to experience discomfort. So this didn't feel good. Um, I didn't sleep much that week. I sweated profusely each time I talked to one of them. Uh, my principal got involved and came to my classroom because evidently she had already addressed that. Mr. C went to her first. And she addressed it with him, and he was still talking stuff. And so that's how I ended up in it. And when she found out that I had to talk to him, she was even more upset. And so, like I said, this is only my second year of teaching. I don't want my principal coming to my classroom saying, like, what's this I hear about this, that, and the third? Um, so um, parents got involved, and multiple people I now know who shouldn't be teaching our children are teaching our children. And it's just awkward to have a conversation with them when we have to get together and to do team building exercises on Fridays afternoons. Um, so it's not comfortable. This having these conversations isn't a walk in the park, um, but they're necessary. What was that thing you said just now about people that are teaching our children? Say it again. Um, yeah, they shouldn't be. I, I just know, I just, I know now for a fact that you shouldn't be teaching right. these babies. So you're saying that's part of the discomfort is just like having to know that that's going on in the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And being like, I, I kind of knew, but it's, but still this is upsetting to mm -hmm. be like, no, but for real I was right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay. Some people I didn't know, but yeah. yeah. Right. Um, number three, speak your truth. So um, this requires you to take risks. Um, and I said what I had to say. Looking back on it, it wasn't eloquent. It was actually very personal each time I did it. 
Um, but sometimes we worry too much about how it's going to sound. And the most important thing is, is that you're just being honest. Because if you leave that conversation, you didn't say something you wanted to say, you're going to keep thinking about it. So go, they're right there. Go ahead and let them know. Um, and there's enough sugarcoating going on in the world. Like this isn't, this is, don't join that party. This isn't one of those times to like say whatever you are trying to say to make it softer. Just go ahead and say it. But have wisdom about this. So when I saw him looking at my clock, I was like, I'm not, there's nothing else getting to you today. And so I excused him. Um, and <laughs> which, so just have wisdom about, um, yeah, fight the battle, but have, have wisdom about when to walk away. And be weary of silence dialogue. So low-key, in that conversation when he interrupted me, I wanted to shut down. I wanted to stop talking. Um, and I think that's a very, that's a very dangerous pit to fall into, to just stop talking. But like at the beginning of my talk, like that silence is an implicit agreement. If you're just sitting there and you're not saying anything, they're taking away what they want to take away from that, you know? Um, so speak your truth. Number four. Expect and accept none closure. So there is no quick fix. None. Um, the more we talk, the more we learn. Um, I expect that me and Mr. C won't be shooting the breeze anymore, but we know where each other stands. I still say hello to him when I see him. And next year, if I'm at this school, he would get a personal invitation to join the Black History Committee. Um, and I don't know if my principal was going to, I suggested the PD, the professional development to her, and she wasn't sure if it was necessary. So I don't know if that's going to happen, but I'm going to keep bringing it up because it, it should happen. Like, you telling your kids that they shouldn't speak Spanish when they're Latino and speak Spanish is not cool, and people need to know that. Um, I think we take for granted what, I took for granted that they would know what an Afro-Latino was. I took for granted, I took a lot of things for granted about that flyer. And it showed me that you can't. You, you just can't assume that. Um, so yeah, the more we talk, the more we learn. Um, the last thing I kind of want to share with you is through having these conversations, sometimes it seems like you're just talking to a wall. And then sometimes you actually get to see the fruit of that conversation. So we have a teacher aide. A teacher's aide, her name is Miss V, and her son is Afro-Latino. She's black, her husband's Mexican, and he was her miracle baby at 40, and he is her entire world. There is nothing that Noah wants for. He is spoiled and spoiled. Um, he's 13, y'all, and he's crazy about her. And But also being 13, he reali he's realizing that he doesn't fit in anywhere. He's too light, his hair is too curly to hang with the black kids, but he doesn't speak Spanish. He's just a tad too dark for the Latino kids. So he often feels left out. Ms. V, Ms. v got the flyer at home and she came and thanked me and for pushing for this because it was the first time that anyone had ever invited her baby to celebrate Black History Month. So I confided in her about the conversations I've been having with the teachers. Because like I said, that was hard on me. Like it's only, 
it's two of us, teachers, and then it's like four employees, so like my, yeah. That was hard on me, so I confided in her because she looks like me about those conversations in, in older black woman fashion. She took it upon herself to go talk to Mr. C, um, <laughs> who happens to be her son's history teacher. And you know, she later told me how that conversation went. And she, she said that um, she feels as though he received what she had to say. There were a lot of things that he didn't know and she let him know what those things were. Um, like her being like lighter skin, and one of the things that she mentioned was he just thinks that you know only dark-skinned people experience you know prejudices and different things like that. She said, I'd let him know, no, it's the spectrum. And I was like, that's right, Ms. V, that's right. Um, just a, a lot of things that she was just like, she let him know. And I don't know, I was grateful for that. That she that she did that because I didn't I didn't see in that moment anything that he was getting from me and so to hear that she went to him and it's different when you're a parent and it's your baby so you're looking at her and you're telling her that her Afro Latino baby doesn't need to be invited to Black History Month yeah. whether you yeah you, that's hard to do that's hard to look at a mom and do that and so I was very happy that she did that. <laughs> Um, and she also had a word with two other ladies in our front office about the involvement of these students. And because we have two ladies in the front office, they run on a you know, flyer train, and she knew it, and she let them know. And she was able to um, change their hearts to the point where they apologized to her for being closed-minded to begin with. And they're both not advocating to parents to, hey, this is a good thing. Because we've, we've had some black parents just like, I don't understand why we're doing this, and different things like that. I'm just like, I shouldn't have to explain that to you of all people though. I shouldn't have to explain that to you. Um, so our front office ladies are holding it down now, which is nice. Um, and this is why it matters. You know, these courageous conversations, they involve real people with souls, with feelings, with hopes, with dreams, and a right to exist. It is not up to the oppressed alone to fight, but up to their brothers and sisters not to cower when the moment matters.